Welcome to the One Small Change podcast with me, Dr. Simon Chard. I'm a cosmetic dentist, public speaker and startup entrepreneur, but most importantly, I'm a lifelong disciple of self-improvement and optimization. In this podcast, we present conversations with world-class industry leaders, sharing their expertise in high performance, spirituality, business and health. It's my job to dissect their key behaviours, routines and mindsets so that you can implement them today to create balance and success in your life. Today's episode is brought to you by Enlightened Tooth Whitening. As a cosmetic dentist, I've used Enlightened to provide tooth whitening results for my patients since I qualified. And the reason that I always come back to Enlightened is they guarantee that B1 result that means my patients are always happy with the outcome. So if you're a dentist, I'd thoroughly recommend reaching out to Enlighten to do one of their free online training courses. And if you're a patient, have a chat with your dentist today about Enlighten Tooth Whitening or even look out for one of their regional centres of excellence. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 18 of the One Small Change podcast. On today's show, we have Anna Williamson, a celebrated TV and radio broadcaster, number one best-selling author, podcaster, life coach, and master NLP practitioner. Anna is an absolutely fascinating individual who, after already having a successful career on national TV, on ITV, Nickelodeon, the Disney Channel, was behind the scenes struggling herself with such severe anxiety that she was one day unable to continue filming. Her story is one of incredible strength, taking this diagnosis not as a career finisher, but as a career starter, and, I wanting, and wanting to help others in the same situation, Anna trained as a certified counsellor, life coach, and master NLP practitioner. And since then, Anna has gone from strength to strength in her career, become one of the mainstays of national TV and radio, uh, and like a few of our previous guests, Anna is one of the hosts of Celebs Go Dating. She's also a celebrated author of two books, uh, three books, sorry, on managing anxiety, managing parenting, and also anxiety uh, for children, which is an awesome topic, um, as well as hosting two top podcasts and a radio show. So a lot, a lot going on there. Um, I've been very open with my own struggles with anxiety over the years, uh, and it's one of the reasons that the discussion on mental health is so important to me. So I'm super excited to delve into this conversation and uh, and learn more about Anna's thoughts on it. So welcome Anna, how are you doing? Oh Simon, I've you know I know you've had Paul and Tom on and and they've said the same about it's probably the best introduction I've ever heard. Oh ever. that's nice. So thank you very very I was listening to you go Oh my god, yeah. Bloody hell. <laughs> you know, this old bird, you know, been wafting around a long old time. But you know what? Yeah. It, it's so nice to see you, buddy. Um and we, we met um we met on Slebs Go Dating actually. Not that you were on it, but you were I wasn't dating, you, no, yeah. You weren't dating. You were you were um, we were doing a toothpaste um commercial. Um, yeah, and it was uh, you. We we all very much took to you straight away, and uh, oh, you know, that's I, very sweet. I think you're very much part of our family as as we are yours. I hope so. Yeah, thanks for having me on the pod. It's a pleasure. Yeah, no, I know it's it's weird. I, I didn't have any uh, inhibitions in reaching out to you guys to get you on the podcast because I did feel that we were only together for a day for the shoot, but I immediately felt a connection with all three of you, um, which is really really interesting because we actually did three other days. We did a few other um, Channel Four based shows on this toothbrush ad um but it was it was the day that i did with you guys that really uh i don't know i really felt with connection with all of you and you're all very different as well which is fascinating but you all seem to be best friends we are very very close yeah we um i mean we don't see each other much obviously when we're out of filming well we haven't been able to because of lockdowns and 
Uh, Paul lives in the States a lot of the time, although he's back in the UK now, which is great. And um, yeah. Tom's in London. I'm out in the sticks in Hertfordshire. But yeah, we are. It's um, it's it, it, as you know, uh, obviously saw when we when we met, it's um, sometimes you just click with people and sometimes you don't. And I would say that and I would say the same for you, actually. One of the very sort of core things about Paul, Tom and I is that we um, a people people we know we're all about rapport um, mm. and it's just naturally in us we're naturally curious people we naturally want to get to know people um, I would say we're all naturally very warm people um, and we just gel and I think I mean honestly Paul and Tom are the are the two the two my two other brothers I have two real brothers but Paul and Tom are my other brothers and yeah. they're very naughty they're very naughty they are, Simon. They are they, they're troublemakers. They play too many pranks. Paul Paul is an absolute killer prankster and he gets me every time. Every time. I mean that guy could bring on a ruddy panic attack. He just absolutely <laughs> honestly that one of his um one of his absolute classics was um he we were doing the celebs go I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Um we were doing the celebs go dating uh press launch of the series before last because we couldn't have one for the mansion because of um COVID. But we were doing the um the press launch and him and Alison Hammond, who was on that series, that's, that's the series I think we met. Um, uh, we were having the press launch and I was standing there in, in the middle of this bar, this swanky bar in London. And I was like, oh, what's that smell? Well, basically the little bugger had dropped a fart bomb, like a spray. Um, he, he sprayed this fart spray around me. So or basically, and my agent was standing next to me. She literally was like, oh my God. So basically the little sod, had dropped this fart spray and him and Alison Hammond were in on it together and it yeah, was right and brilliant. it was literally right by my feet and I mean he <laughs> almost I could see he was he nearly died with laughing so hard it was probably the most funny moment ever honestly he's such a sod he does it all the time <laughs> oh it's brilliant yeah I think I think the other thing that I noticed about all of you which is a, a characteristic that I really value is that there's so much honesty with all of you like you none of you are you're all like celebrities on tv like that you could be excused for being quite sort of pompous or up yourself or something like that but there's just Absolutely. there's just a real raw um naturalness and self-objectivity and, and honesty about all of you where there's just no barrier and this was the thing like like me and tom were stuck in on a sofa for like like an hour just like Isn't chatting just complete complete random man. complete randomness like but yeah. just real but actually quite and even and again me and paul got stuck um uh, waiting for so half an hour or so and we got into a really deep conversation I can't remember exactly what it was now but it's not often yeah, that you deep. meet random people like on a on a tv set and get into really deep conversations within like half an hour and I, th I think this is it I mean I'm, I'm pretty sure production you know pull their hair out with us because often when we do uh the agency interactions on celebs go dating or uh or it's Tom Paul and I and we those are our favorite scenes like we love those moments when they're called morning at the agency um, when we get because and, and some people ask they say was it scripted like no absolutely not like everything you see is, is what we do but obviously we're given pointers on what they want to film so they'll go right today all right right now can you go in and we're just going to film you guys setting up for the day and those are our favorite favorite scenes because it's just banter and I think I've never met two people this is in and out of tv I, I really do consider myself to be so so fortunate because you, you know, you, you don't know whether you're going to gel with people. But with with Paul and Tom, I've not only got, you know, friends for life, you know, I consider them family, really. But, you know, I have two colleagues where we are all on the same page. And we are, you know, we like a laugh, but we can be really serious. 
And the main thing that we have with us as well is that we really do take our job seriously. You know, we really value being given the opportunity to do it. We want to do something important with the job. You know, Slevsko Dating is a entertainment show it's a dating show and 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 that's what it's and it's and and rob beckett makes it you know with his voiceover we'll get with rob as well by the way we just don't see rob um but actually you know we we all kind of we paul and i in particular when we came on obviously because we are the the second sort of pairing that have come onto the show we we really wanted to take the the therapy side of things and coaching side of things into a into a really good place where people could actually see the value in it, not just you know laugh at you know at the, the funnier sides of, of things and and we love it. And actually, you said that about you know celebrities and you know it's, it's a term that I always probably cringe at because I'm probably quite self deprecating and I'd say the same with the boys. But I think none of us do telly um, to be famous. You know, it's not it's not what we it's not why we're there. And I think that's also really key. I think if one of us was in was was primary reason that we wanted to be on the show was to be famous um, or to have a following or whatever. Um, then I don't think the, the, the relationship would work quite as well as it does. The fact that we do the job because we love the job and actually all three of us really particularly Paul actually really shy away from the more glossier aspects of telly we're we're rubbish at going out for dudes we have to be put we have to be dragged out <laughs> yeah I mean I think the relationship between the three of you is probably the reason why the show's been so successful oh, um uh, and I think I think that whole piece around uh promoting the benefits of therapy is such an important topic um there's been a few guests on the show um Jim Chapman and uh, Matt Willis specifically and also Dan Murray Sutton quite a lot of them most of them actually um who have uh accounted therapy as one of the most important things they've ever done in their lives Jim Chapman said that it saved his life yep um and um and me. it's 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 really yeah and it's an amazing um it's an amazing thing that uh, so many people shy away from it. And I, we, we referenced it before. I think it's like going to the gym. Like you don't necessarily have to be in a critical position to need to reach out to a therapist in the same way that you don't need to be training for a marathon to start working out. Like you want to be flexing those muscles all the time um, so that as and when something difficult does present itself, you're in a, in a stronger possession. Now I say all this, but I've been talking about g- going to therapy for the last year and I still haven't done it. So <laughs> I'm, really, I, I'm really talking to myself here. <laughs> Mind you, you do a podcast and I think doing a podcast is, is a real active form of therapy because yeah. it's, it's talking, it's sharing, it's, it's taking that space and that time to just be with your thoughts and to articulate them. So actually I do yeah. think that podcasting is a bit of a form of therapy. I do, um, my, one of my podcasts, Breaking Mum and Dad, I'm doing with my husband at the moment um and we found it been a brilliant form of couple therapy and we've had couple therapy um and and we were saying the same thing everyone should just do a podcast <laughs> because yeah. it's a really good opportunity but yeah i would say the same as some of your other guests you know therapy for me um yeah it saved my life it certainly changed my life and it changed my life all for the better i was in an absolutely crippling um way in my early 20s early mid 20s um and I was presenting at the time kids telly I was um it was a a really popular show it was it was network telly it was ITV Saturday morning you know it was kind of the you know the holy grail and I was in a really uh, rubbish relationship at the time I really wasn't looking after myself mentally um 
mainly actually as well as physically but mainly mentally and I, and I think you know this was this is 15 years ago now you know I don't certainly well I know I know because this is the reason why I've become such a campaigner for mental health you know there wasn't any um, uh, empathy or sympathy or understanding or a willingness to want to learn about mental health it was very much you know whisper behind you you know one hand or eek you know someone's having a bit of a bit of a time or they're on antidepressants that might you know it was all very very heaped in stigma and when I had a breakdown, I had an emotional breakdown, which was characterized um, of months and months and months of uh, panic attacks, um, which anyone that's had panic attacks will, will know how awful they feel. Um, and many people get uh, admitted to A&E um, because they're, they think they're dying, they think they're having a heart attack, but actually it's, it's a panic attack. Um, uh, I mean, that's how severe they can feel. And this is why I, I, you know, I always say the link between mental health and physical health is so, so strong because when you are suffering with ill mental health, it can feel extremely physical. And for me, it was debilitating. I'd lost, I couldn't eat. Um, I was losing weight. Um, I couldn't sleep. I had, you know, chronic insomnia. Um, my panic disorder, which was subsequently diagnosed, was raging. I mean, these panic attacks were absolute whoppers and they kept coming thick and fast. Um, how did they present themselves? How, 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 did, how did the panic attacks actually uh, come in, out in physical form? Or was it, was it all internal? Um, it's a great question, actually, because I'm, I'm going to take myself back there now, actually. And so for me, a panic attack, um, you kind of get a little, it's like a little warning sign. It's like, it's like when a car engine is, um, you know, you've got like five, 10 miles before you need to fill up and it starts to, you know, it starts to go ding, ding, ding. And I can, for me, because this is, it's a great question, actually, Simon, because panic attacks are characterized in so many different ways. And you may feel one or none or all of, all, of, 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 of a myriad of symptoms. But for me, mine are very, very physical in the sense that I feel this um, sort of warm buzz in my chest. So it sort of feels like uh, my chest um, is being constricted. It's like there's a band around it sort of constricting it. And then that will then affect my breathing. And then obviously, the, if you don't breathe properly, you're going to feel lightheaded, you know, and everything starts to have this trickle effect. Um, yeah. I get very sweaty hands. Um, this is not a sexy symptom, but I need the loo the other end you know and that's also a really embarrassing situation because if you are in a situation where you, your bowels are going and that's also a very very common um physiological uh, side effect of anxiety and panic because it's your it's it's it's, it's in business it's your body yeah. ejecting it's flight, everything it? it's fight or flight exactly that's why we sweat we puke some people do you need the loo um, but also when you're in that situation in a live TV studio, for example, and suddenly the fight or flight's kicked in and you and your bowels are about to go, you know, it's, it, it creates even more panic because then you're thinking mm. to yourself, oh, my God, what if I literally crap myself, in, you know, in public? You know, this is yeah. this is awful. And, it's, and, you know, we could all have a little snigger about it. And we should. I think we should always try and humanize and, and find the humor where possible in our lowest moments. Um, but it's a very, very real feeling and it's very, very debilitating. So for me, um, this would and, and then this panic, I, it would it would almost sort of shoot up into my neck like this sort of hot lava, like a hot poker. Um, and then the sort of I would say the sort of the mental distortions would then kick in, which is the fight or flight. I needed to get the hell out of there. You know, it was very much rabbit in headlights. Um I, um, you know, I needed to be anywhere but where I was. Um, but obviously, that isn't quite as a simple thing to do. So if you're feeling trapped, 
um, or you can't like a lot of people say it's about in meetings or appraisals or in theatres or on trains when you are physically constrained i.e. you can't mm. just get up and run out um, because everyone's going to notice um, you know that's when it can exacerbate even more and for me that is when the panic used to exacerbate even more as if I couldn't get away from it now what I've subsequently learned is don't fight it you know just allow the panic attack to happen because it, once it's once it's in motion it's just let it run out of steam and I, I always liken it to a toddler tantrum you know we've got kids congrats by the way on baby number two um Thank you. but it's like it's like a toddler when they're when they're in full tantrum mode and our son can do this so my son can do this um you know when he's in his real paddy um there's no amount of scolding or you know time out step or anything in that moment that's going to work he just has to run out of steam and then we'll work on the rehabilitation side of it it's the same with the panic attack. And I, and, and I learned to get myself into a safe space, which for me was a toilet cubicle. You know, you can normally find an excuse, excuse yourself to go to the loo. And I would sit on the loo. I'd ground myself, you know, my feet on the floor. I'd anchor myself. I'd concentrate on the back of the toilet cubicle door and I would get my breathing under control. Um, but for me, I mean, and I'm, I'm sort of compressing an extremely long story, but over six sort of eight mm. months, you know, all these symptoms. And then I became quite uh, very, I had very uh, obsessive compulsive uh, behaviors were kicking in um, with, with my work. You know, I was doing that whole sort of tapping thing and I needed to have a certain color pen to write on a piece of paper. Otherwise the day was going to be ruined. You know, yeah, very obsessive compulsive. You know, I had to go to bed at a certain time. Otherwise, then, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it was, it, you know, all these things just absolutely spiraled until, you know, going back to the, the car analogy, you know, I ran out of gas and um, and I wasn't sleeping. Uh, the relationship was was very um, psychologically um, uh, manipulative uh, and abusive. Um, and I was only 25, 26 and, and I imploded. I went into work one day after several days of no sleep and... Um, no, it took a kindly a kindly word from a colleague who just took that moment to, you know, ask me if I was okay and genuinely wanting to know the answer, uh, and that was it. I was, you know, it, that was my window. I talk about with with mental health in particular, and you know, it is about that window of, of because it's you feel so vulnerable and you're so worried about people's opinions and. You know, I speak for myself, looking a fool. You know, I didn't want to mm. look a fool or I didn't want to be the weak yeah, link in weak. my team. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I needed help. And I said, I just need help. And actually, for me, when I asked for help, the help came thick and fast. And then I felt mm. like a bit of a wally for not asking for help sooner. It's often the way, isn't it? When, yeah. when you actually reach out, people are, yeah. are normally there for you. Because you become a great actress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How, how did that lead to you getting into your own... Uh, journey and pathway with therapy and and uh coaching and and even the nlp stuff yeah so i mean i um i actually still can't remember why i i what was the actual linchpin for nlp neurolinguistic programming i must because it's been that long now um but i'm i'm i was starting to read up i, I think like everything i think I, I you start to become fascinated in in things and if you have a natural interest you know you want to you want to know more and so when i when i i, I was signed off work basically with a with a mental breakdown um which again you know i i just felt i felt so dreadful about it because i thought i'm 26 years old with a job of my dreams you know i'm on national telly and i've had a bloody emotional breakdown you know and a lot a lot of my recovery was just giving myself a goddamn break you know and i think i think this is again another thing with mental health is we kind of we kind of sort of 
pigeonhole ourselves with and measure ourselves with how bad must we be feeling or how bad must our story be for us to have permission to feel rubbish if that makes sense yeah and you know I always say this to people I say this to clients you know no one asks to feel how they feel you just do and there shouldn't be any blame or um, judgment attached to that but I am I saw a fantastic uh, doctor consultant psychiatrist um, who I'd known about um, who was particularly good with anxiety disorders and um, I went to see him in this sort of absolute heightened state of, uh, you know, breakdown. Um, and he was amazing. And I remember, I will never forget it. I never forget it. Um, I remember going into his office, um, sitting down on this chair. He'd obviously taken one look at my body language and just seen this is a highly stressed individual. Um, you know, sat on the edge of the chair, wringing my hands, you know, jittery, bottom lip wobbling. And, you know, he asked me why I was there and I just tried to explain to him in as many words as I could, because again, it's, it's hard to sometimes explain how we're feeling if we don't know what we're feeling or, you know, so I just explained it to him, think, and he said, look, whatever you tell me, I'm not going to think you're weird. I'm not going to think you're, you know, anything other than you just tell me how you're feeling, even if it sounds strange, you know, so I was, you know, I was sort of telling him all these strange, oh, but I only like a yellow highlighter pen, you know, when I'm doing a script because, it, you know, you feel like an absolute wally. And sometimes I think about, you know, you know, doing this with my car in case, you know, and, I, and this is why it got so bad that I was, um, I, I used to fantasize fleetingly in the car that if I, if I, um, you know, just nudge the steering wheel, um, a little bit and I had a little crash into the central reservation on my A road, uh, maybe I'd do enough sort of physical damage, like break a couple of legs or something, you know, that it would give me kind of a free pass. I know. And that's, and that's how bad it can feel. Scary, when, isn't it? Y- yeah. And particularly back then when, you know, no one took it seriously. You know, if you said you had mental health issues, oh my God, people would think you needed to be going into a, in, in, into a secure unit, you know, and it's yeah. so, it's so wrong because like physical health, you know, mental health, you know, it's, it's, such as a wide spectrum yeah of course there's severe mental health you know postpartum psychosis you know um uh schizophrenia you know there's all those kind of you know conditions there which again can be managed you know perfectly mm. well perfectly well but also at the at the top end you've got low mood you know and you've got stress and that's where it can start so he was amazing. He, um, I went to see him. I was seeing him twice a week uh, initially for the first four weeks. I went on to some medication to help just give my brain a rest. Um, so I, I, he, he put me on an SSRI, um, which uh, again I had all this stigma about being on a pill. Well, I yeah. mean, I yeah. now I say to people, look, you know what? If you're asthmatic, you take an inhaler. If you're a diabetic, you take diabetes medication. You know, a friend of mine calls it. Um, he, he refers to it as one of his vitamins. You know, it's it's as important to him as taking his daily vitamin D supplement or whatever. You know, it helps. You know, and I do have a, a low ser. I do have low serotonin. That you know, the happy hormone. It, it, it and I do uh, have SAD. It turns out seasonal affective disorder because it's it always quite recurrent. I have to work especially hard um, once autumn kicks in just to keep myself uh, you know buoyed. Um, but he was amazing, and I. My world and my eyes were open to the world of therapy. Um, and I came from a family that, um, or come from a family that uh, are very open and very supportive, but probably like a lot of families um, were a bit sniffy about talking about your feelings. British stiff up a lip, you know, you don't talk about your feelings. Um, so I didn't really know how to. And pardon me, he used such a combination of 
therapies alongside this this short term uh, medication. I also was on a, a benzodiazepine um, Xanax just to give me some some rest because how can you start to recover if you're so sleep deprived? Um, yeah. and, and build up your mental resilience. And, and he used a whole range of therapy techniques, including uh, hypnosis, which I'm a huge fan of for change work, uh, NLP, EFT, tapping techniques, um, you know, all, all kinds of things. Um, and he was also, he's also quite spiritual, um, which I am. And again, I think this comes, comes down to when you have a coach or a therapist, you know, it's, it's such a personal relationship. Um, and lots of, some people get really put off by therapy because they've just, their first therapist hasn't gelled with them. And I always encourage people to try someone else because it is really unique. Even my own psychiatrist, uh, a close family member was also having a time of difficulty, um, and didn't gel with him, you know, and it just wasn't, 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 didn't have the same sort of values really that were aligning with the type of therapy. So I think, I, th I think that's one of the reasons that's, that's put me off making the jump is I'd be I've done a load of research and I'm like oh that person doesn't seem quite right that and there's sort of a, a decision paralysis going on where I probably just need to make the, make the first jump and then see how it goes yeah I, w I would say that and I know I know and I've I've um you know I've I know a lot of therapists now you know as as, as peers and I can and I can definitely pick out some that for me are you know I wouldn't probably like their style doesn't mean they don't know what they're talking about, but everyone has got a different style and also a different level of empathy, you know, and, and their own lived experience often as well. Um, so I would say try, try, just try again, you know, try, I mean, we've had a, my husband and I, before we got married, we had a, a couples counsellor um, who was amazing. And I'm a huge, a uh, huge fan of couples therapy. Um, and, you know, my God, this, you know, she couldn't be more different from my approach. She's very, quite headmistress, quite, I mean, as, as a mediator should be, you know, but she's, um, you know, she's very disciplined with her time. You know, she's very, she's very matter of fact. She will offer up advice, which often a lot of counsellors don't. Um, but you know what? It worked for us. In that scenario, it worked for us. Would it have worked for me when I was having a breakdown? Absolutely not. I would have thought she was horrible. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. have, and I wouldn't have gelled with her. So I think you have to think about where you are in your head, what you need. Do you need nurturing? Do you need sympathy and empathy? Do you need a, a softly, softly approach? Or do you need some tough love? You know, and, and I think finding your therapist based on what your needs are and not being afraid of saying, you know what, this isn't working for me. And I think, and I speak for myself as a coach, one of our fundamental principles and teachings is to recognize when a client isn't getting the best from you as a coach. Um, we're all human, you know, we all, you know, we're very non-judgmental, you know, by our training. Um, but at the same time, we're all human, you know, and it can, some, some clients will, will pose more, um, uh, more challenges than others might you know for example if I had a gentleman in that you know had admitted to um you know uh being untoward towards his partner for example because I have lived experience of that I may find that quite difficult to work with that client so it's recognizing it in yourself and going for me I'm going to pass you over to someone else you know and I think that's really important it's about being authentic and honest with your with your therapist to be honest you have to be and they have to yeah. be to you absolutely and, and on and on that NLP piece can you just, for, for the listeners that maybe haven't heard of it before, um, just give us a little bit of an overview on what it is and what the benefits are of it, if there's any sort of tools that, that our listeners can use to, to help with mood and that sort of thing. I, I know that I'm very interested in it and I've actually, I don't know very much about it. I recently bought a book, which is on my standard bookshelf of books that I've, I'm waiting to read, which is at about 30 right now. Um, but it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, I it's, know, I'm it's the same. <laughs> Never get time. I know, but it, it's something that a lot of, um, 
really high performing individuals I think are very interested in and, and so that interests me as well but what what are your thoughts on it yeah so new, new, can't speak neurolinguistic programming so it's it is it has many similar um traits it's the form of therapy uh psychodynamic therapy uh and it's very similar to cbt which is the more uh, widely recognized one cognitive behavioral therapy which is the nhs go-to um they're very very closely linked um cbt is 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 fantastic um i think and and i think the, the way i would differentiate them them both because they really do overlap i'd say cbt is is particularly good with anxiety disorders um and um, traumas or things where you're sort of stuck uh, in, from learned behavior. Um, and it's all about changing your thought patterns. It's all about um, trying to reframe how you think about things. So it can be, it can be very, very um, effective. I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of it. I think it's, um, I think it's great. For me, though, um, NLP, I think, is a lot more in-depth and which is why I prefer it. So the way I would differentiate, I think NLP, it's more working on your filter system. It's working on your feelings and your sensory acuity. Now, what really drew me into NLP is because it really, um, essentially it's about to bring about change. That is exactly um, what it is. It's about looking at our limiting beliefs. It's about um, working out how we process information, how we then, how that then turns into our behaviors and our thought processes and our achievements. You know, is it what, what is serving us well and what isn't serving us well? It's all about, um, yeah, our filter systems. Um, but NLP for me, it's, it's one of the main things that it works on are your five senses. Um, uh, your representational system, it's called. So it's, it's that everything we think, do, um, our behavior is all based on how we filter that information through our five senses, okay, through what we see, through what we hear, through what we touch, you know, all the, you know, kinesthetic, but obviously it's inside, uh, what we can taste and smell, you know, and these all have an enormous um, uh, emphasis on our uh, memories, on our subconscious memories, which obviously we, we bury and, and, and they kind of can come up and when we least expect it and can present with really unhelpful behavior. Um, I mean, how many of us can really identify? And, and that's why I love NLP, because it really works on learning about yourself, what drives you, what motivates you, what are your challenging points, what are your sticking points? Um, and and like I say, it does cross over a lot with CBT. But for me, it's more about uh, a more in-depth way to, to make those changes. Um, and and one of the big one of my favourite techniques actually um, is uh, so we work in NLP a lot with association and disassociation. So. Uh, NLP really crosses over as well with hypnosis, hypnotherapy. And actually, I did do, as part of my training uh, several years ago, I did do a module on hypnotherapy. And I'm still waiting to do the full qualification, actually, because I find it incredible for change work. You know, it's it's so different to to the perception that people have of, you know, people going in trance and then being made to be a chicken. You know, it's, it's the most incredible, <laughs> yeah. it's the most incredible way to reframe memories and association and disassociation. So when you are associated, you are experiencing something in your own body, looking out through your own eyes. Okay. So right now I am associated. Okay. I'm looking at you, Simon. Um, you know, I'm associated, I'm experiencing this. So if I'm associated, I am now tapping into all of my senses to see how I'm feeling. You know, am I holding any tension, any confusion, any frustration, any anxiety? You know, how am I feeling about this at the moment? You know, and then what we do with that so we can really experience that to its, you know, in a really concentrated way. So when we go about change work, we then disassociate. 
which is when we literally step away into a third person. Um, and we do this a lot with phobia cures, actually. NLP really can uh, be very helpful when it comes to phobia cures. That's where it crosses over a bit to hypnotherapy. So when you disassociate, you're then, for example, standing in the corner of your room, okay, and you are then looking at yourself from a distance vantage point. So if I were to do that right now, and often we do that by closing our eyes, if I were to look at, you know, stand in the corner or often it's quite good to sort of float in the, in, in the top corner of the room and look down and view that scenario, view what, and, and talk to yourself, what are you seeing? What is that behavior? What is that physiology? You know, how do I look? Do I look confident? Do I look embarrassed? Do I look shy? You know, am I fidgeting? Do I, you know, and how we do that is we work. Um, so uh, the, new, the new behavior generator, I think, is fantastic for when you want to recreate or, or create a, a desired state. So if, for example, so let's say, for example, I was coming on this podcast today and I was feeling really nervous, um, uh, de-skilled or whatever it may be. Um, how you use that technique before you go into any of those scenarios is to then change your behavior, tweak your behavior. And from that disassociated distance vantage point, you look at what the behavior currently is. Oh, yeah, she's, you know, her shoulders are down. She's fidgeting. She's got this. Blah, blah, blah. Right. So then you correct it. So what does, and then you can bring in modeling. Modeling is when you take attributes of people that demonstrate um, uh, behaviors that you want to emulate, successful behaviors. So I might go, right, she, I need to, she needs to sit up straight. Um, you know, she perhaps needs to tie her hair back so she stops fidgeting with her hair. She perhaps needs to put some shoes on so she feels more grounded and not wearing her slippers because wearing her slippers might make, I am wearing my slippers, but might make her feel a bit more less professional so she might feel a bit more confident if she's wearing heels and what you do is and then you put yourself back into that associated uh position where you're viewing it back out through your own eyes again and you embrace that new behavior uh and you and you make those tweaks and those changes so um it, it's, it's quite a complex thing but actually when you're working with an nlp coach i find and, and my god my most favorite thing ever was was training and studying it and so much so I keep going on to do like refreshers and I have my monthly supervisions um, because I, I just find it so fascinating when especially when you're with one of the the big trainers as well they're just they're, it's like Tony Robbins like it's like your it's your mind is blown so it's a really great um, uh, therapy to study and you say you can read up on it and it's quite uh, Tony Robbins is, is one of the, you know, the most famous uh, NLP practitioners. It's really what he does. You know, if you if you if you read any of his you know, books, then that's really what it is. But it's a it's a fascinating process. But it's just tapping in with your thoughts, your feelings and your behaviors. And for me, it's been an absolute game changer. I've become a better person. I've become a better mother, a better wife, a better friend. And I've had a better career. It's brilliant. It's fascinating. Uh, really, really interesting. I mean, you literally gave me goosebumps there just hear, hearing you because I was do, I was doing it as you were saying it, and I was like, oh, that's that's a really powerful tool. I can really see how, especially for people who have got a phobia of public speaking, how um, it could be so powerful in in that sort of scenario. Um, I think a lot of the times, I'm really interested by the whole interplay between physical activity and emotional state in both directions so like how you control your body controls your mind but then also how your mind controls your body as you mentioned before with panic attacks like the mind leading to physical expressions of your internal emotions i think that whole interplay is so interesting i completely agree it fascinates me and i think whenever i see anyone that is i think this is why i have just such a natural empathy now and i think my legacy you know in life is really just trying to 
normalize and help people with with those 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 thoughts and feelings because they can be all consuming and i think you're absolutely spot on when you say the interplay with physical because you know our thoughts you know can change everything about our physical behavior you know people that are you know particularly like post pandemic post lockdown if i dare you know wish that we are coming out of it now but you know a lot of people um are feeling anxious about coming out so then that changes their physical um uh, behavior they don't want to go out anymore so they become quite insular um you know and, and they don't, might, might might not want to go to work anymore it might have an effect on their job it might, you know and i think that's why I, i'm so pro really tapping in to your thoughts and your feelings and actually putting some real time and effort and TLC into asking yourself which is why mindfulness is a fascinating practice actually mindfulness and meditation has been uh, absolutely proven now I did a, a really interesting um, forum summit last year um, called the Brain Forum with a whole load of neuroscientists from around the world um, and psychiatrists and psychologists. Um, and meditation and uh, mindfulness has now been proven to be one of the most effective ways to manage anxiety disorders um, and depressive disorders. Um, because, And it's really, really not hard in the sense that it's so simple in just being in the present and taking time off. And I think as, as life is evolving, it's amazing that we're so connected, but we're too connected too much of the time. And I think we forget that. I think we get, we run away with everything so much. We really forget to actually pause and give ourselves that time and space. And it's so important for our mental well-being. Absolutely. And I think we, there's, there's, there seems to be like an expectation that our, our minds should be able, they should always be performing at, at top level always be performing correctly um and we don't need to put any effort into them to achieve that state and i think that's the big uh the big issue certainly for me i know uh if i don't do my meditation each day like i've been so busy recently with with all this dragon's den stuff coming up yeah um and i've like Exciting. let my i've let my practices slide a little bit where i've had to like get work done to certain deadlines and um it really affects me i'm like why am i in such a bad mood um, and then I'm like, oh, I haven't meditated for like the last three days. That's, that's clearly what it is. Uh, it's so, so but that's powerful. That's great because you, you recognize that. And I, I'm the same. My God, I spend every day preaching it. You know, I mm. try and practice it, but I, I'm, I'm like you, yeah, I think, but again, that's just being human and same thing. Sometimes I'm like, God, I'm just so really moody. I'm a bit crotchety with the kids more than, more than usual. And then when I really break it down, I'm like, did I have a proper walk today or did I just have a quick three minutes around the block and you know almost like a tick list you can't yeah. cheat it and I think this is the thing you just can't cheat it uh, you have to put in the and it's hard and you do have to diarize it but you have to give it the same priority and emphasis um, as in your mental health and your mental and your well-being your emotional well-being as you would you know going to a dentist you know to get your teeth but it's true <laughs> but if your teeth were busted you wouldn't just sit there and go oh I'll just give it five seconds and, and pay you know Simon half the cost to do half the job you just wouldn't do it you'd go you go full out because you want to look your best because you feel your best and it's the same thing if you're cheating yourself by only giving yourself five minutes of meditation or you're forgetting um you're not going to be at your optimum best and that's a choice you have to make you know and we can all make it i'm the same i love positive affirmations in the morning um and did them this morning actually i forgot yesterday and it does have an effect like it, it completely flips my day into a good start if I, I sound like I'm like in the sound of music but every morning I like fling open my window because the reason why I was so vehement about buying the house that I'm in right now is is its view it has the most beautiful view um and I um 
So every morning I like to remind myself on how I feel fortunate that I'm in this home that has a lot of problems at the moment because it's an old house. Um, but to keep me in that positive, as opposed to, oh my God, this house is rubbish. Oh my God, the house needs so much doing to it. I'm like, remind myself on the house. I love this house. I open the window, I take deep breaths and I do my positive affirmations. Thank you, the fact that we own this lovely home. You know, it's a home where my family feels safe, you know, and, and, it's, and it does, it sets you up for the day as opposed to, oh my God, the bog's broken again. You know, you, you, it changes your whole mind. Mind you, the bog being broken is an issue, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you're, you're literally preaching to the converted there, Anna, because I'm exactly the same. I, as soon as I wake up, uh, the first thing I do is just get some water down me and then do a gratitude. As soon as my feet touch the floor, like that's the moment, specifically that's the moment. I do like a couple of like just gratitude uh, practices, which is just saying thank you for stupid stuff. Like I can hear the birds tweeting outside or I'm healthy and all of my limbs work. Uh, just anything, it can be really, really small or it can be really massive. Like thank you that all my family are healthy, but it's it's such a powerful way to start the day and it's it free and it's so easy and you, it's impossible and it to, to forget to do it because... If you, the, the key thing I think with all this stuff, same with meditation, same with exercise, is consistency is absolutely everything. It doesn't. I say this to myself all the time on my Peloton bike. If I'm doing a really rubbish job, I'm like, you're here, you're doing it. You can't smash it every day. Like you, at, le- at least you're here, you've clipped in, and you're you're getting the job done. Uh, and I think that's the absolute core mantra for anything that's sort of positive for your mental health you, you can always tweak something positive out and it's it's always quite a good measure actually if I've got a, a client who re- when I say give me like one of those give me three things that you're grateful for today be positive about uh, uh, uh. and I think the tendency and you, you hit the nail on the head there the tendency is to think big think small because it's actually the small things that make all the difference now you'll know this with a, a little one I mean I've got my daughter who's um 16 months and teething um but you know i've had a couple fun times of, yeah fun times but i've had a couple of shocking nights sleep with her and um you know and that can final lack of sleep is, is a massive mental uh, is, is an ill mental health trigger for me actually Huge, can, yeah. It, yeah massive but you know what exactly like you say is my feet hit the floor in the morning now i could be oh my god i'm so tired you know the baby had me up between 1 and 4 a.m or and this is what I do. You can flip it to that positive. And now you might have to be clutching at straws, but it works. I, I then say I'm grateful that I got some sleep because yeah. I could have had none. But I actually did sleep and, and I'm grateful for the sleep I did get. So if you're flipping it and you're focusing it, my favorite quote is um, if you can or if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And it's so true. <laughs> yeah, so true. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, that brings us on quite nicely to the whole parenting piece. Um, because I've obviously got an eight week old right now and sleep is, um, is not something that I'm able to control. And I think that's really, in, that's a really interesting discussion point because when you have a kid, you can't sleep. Like it's not, you can't be like, right, I'm going to get my nine hours tonight. Cause that's what I know what I need to be like mentally fit. It's like, no, you, you literally can't. Um, and you've, you've written a whole book on this, haven't you? Um, Breaking Mum and Dad, and that's obviously the name of your podcast as well. So what led to you uh, sort of diving into that um, arena, um, which is obviously acutely relevant for me right now, so I'm asking from a selfish point of view. <laughs> no, you ask away, my friend. No, I, because, um, so I, I'd managed my mental health, you know, I'd managed my anxiety. I was diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder back back in the day when I'd had that breakdown. And it was managed really well. Uh, I'd come off medication. I had good uh, psychological support, which I actively 
you know looked into um and 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 uh and took on i was also then training and and, and qualifying in my own um mental health practices which was also really helped it sort of served as you know self-help really um but then i got pregnant and um i didn't realize uh quite how bad perinatal anxiety and postnatal anxiety postnatal depression could be and so when i was pregnant with my son enzo four and a half years ago I put it down to hormones at the time, but actually it was my anxiety disorder that was raging out of control and um, it wasn't flagged, not by me, not by any medical professionals. But then when I had my son, which was a, a pretty grotty birth, um, I had dreadful postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety um, and I had to seek help very, very quickly for that because, uh, it, you know, we, we, were, we, were, we were in the trenches, we were, we were feeling very dark at that point. Um, and then I, and then it sort of opened up this whole world for me of, of parenting. And I was thinking, my God, like when I reached out and started talking about it and realized that so many people are also experiencing the same thing, I just think, and, and this is what I think in, parenting is wonderful. Having a baby is wonderful. And so many people have such a great experience with it. And I think that is to be absolutely applauded. I really, really do. Um, but it just became really apparent to me that lots of people also felt like I did um, and that was a bit of a failure because I wasn't really enjoying parenting because my mental health was shot to smithereens and I sort of embarked on this um, journey really to try and understand postnatal mental health for mums for dads um, and and what that was like and it sort of uncovered lots of really quite upsetting things really you know how much people were were struggling um and then and then there's this catharticism of everyone going oh it's not just me then that's okay then so that's sort of yeah and that's where breaking mama dad came came from it's like it's okay and i think my tagline for that book is you know it's okay to not love it all the time because you won't and when you're sleep deprived as you say simon you know it's hard to enjoy anything you know in fact if anything you can go the opposite where you can resent that your children for making you feel tired and certainly as a, as a mother having given birth and being pretty pretty battered and bruised after it you know there was definitely a, a point of oh my god like what's happened to me like you yeah. know I'm you know who am I you know I don't know identity loss um you know all of that you know was going so on common. so so common and and then sleep is is kind of you know a massive trigger as well and I think my husband and I talk about this, you know, we, we devised our own sort of pattern to ensure that we both got sleep because we knew that literally it was game over if I didn't get my sleep. So, um, we, I don't know how you and your wife do it, but we had, um, we had shift patterns of sleep. So I would do, um, the, so I would hang on, I think where we were now that sort of wait. So I would go to sleep at like seven, 8 PM at night. And then I would, but this, we, I don't know if you're breastfeeding, not you personally, but you're, um, you're, <laughs> yeah, bottle, are. you are, you're expressing at all. Yeah. So, okay, so you can do a bottle feed. Yeah. Oh, fine. So I would do the same. So I would go to sleep at eight o'clock in the evening and my husband would then stay. He's quite happy to watch, you know, films and stuff. He would stay up and then do like the 11 o'clock feed um, and then he'd come to bed. So mm. um, so I would then sleep from like 8 p.m. right through until like the 3 a.m. feed. Mm -hmm. um, to, and then at that and that was like, no one's interrupting me. You know, this is yeah. my time. He would then do that stint and then he'd go to bed at like midnight and sleep all the way through to six, seven. Cause I then like get up in the middle of the night and do the feed. And for us, that actually was our saving grace. And we got into this rhythm terribly unsocial, but it doesn't last. Well, that, 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 that was going to be my, that was going to be my question because one of the big things I think with parenting is that your, your attention is drawn away from the relationship um and with exactly what you described there like that shift pattern was like a necessary structure that you guys oh, had to put in place it's a passion the killer the well that's what i was going to say like the natural outcome of that is that you don't have any time for intimacy don't have any time for uh, connecting with each other and um 
and that and that then can lead to other issues that then come full circle so it, it's such a difficult time and i think i know for for megs my wife especially she any time where she's like really struggling she feels guilty for um for for not as you say for not being like this is the best experience of my whole life ever and everything is just glowing and, and perfect um and i think that's got to be just destroyed that that thought process because it's um yes. so harmful for people's mental it, health it, it's so harmful because you just said there the g word guilt i think guilt particularly when it comes to parenting i think it's such an unnecessary and, and unhelpful emotion to feel i always say that yeah it's, always, a, waste of, it's a complete waste of time a waste <laughs> of time and emotion isn't it and i think also if you're feeling guilty guess what it means you care so that's a good thing and i think if you have that fleeting moment recognize it go okay i feel a bit guilty okay that's good because it shows i care and now i'm going to get rid of that guilt because you then got to live in the moment i mean my god how honestly anyone that can survive on sleep deprivation having a pretty broken body broken boobs if you're breastfeeding you know with your relationship you're going to start niggling each other and start getting you know ratty with each other you know for anyone to then sit there and go oh my god this is the most wonderful experience (laughs) you know if they do that's bloody amazing yeah get on them (laughs) yeah but for a lot of people it's not you know and my god my husband and i absolutely we still have it now like if we've had a crappy night with the kids we look at each other and we're like god it's hard isn't it you know but you know what it's it's i think what's important about it and it's like you and your wife it's taking those moments to actually recognize it name it and go do you know what it's really freaking hard right now and right now i don't like my child i love my child but i don't like them right now you know and you can say that and 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 feel that because then you say guilt free (laughs) guilt free and then go right what are we going to do about it? And my husband and I do it. We sit, you know, we have our moments. And then we have a flipping good laugh about it. One of the kids will do something which, you know, is sweet, you know, and we go, oh, you know. And, but then what we do is we do try and carve out that time. I think in the early newborn phases, it's really hard to carve out any time, if I'm honest with you. But yeah. I think to keep reminding yourselves that this is just a phase. It is a phase. And to keep your relationship up there and keep recognizing and checking in with each other, saying, look, I know we haven't got much time for each other at the moment, but as long as we are making a concerted effort that we will make sure we have time and make those plans, you know, I mean, we, we got into a habit as well of um, asking my mum, uh, she came over occasionally on a Saturday night and would do the night for us. Um, and that was lovely because we, we could then go to bed Amazing, together yeah. and not have anything particularly romantic, but even just to get <laughs> into bed together and have a cuddle and go to sleep together so was lovely yeah. yeah it's it's so important and i think and i think that's it i think i'm, I'm fun if i'm writing my my next book on on uh dating and relationships and i'm on this this chapter really and i think it's just holding keeping sight of your relationship and that it will be challenged by children um but actually just keep going keep that connection going keep talking because you do come through the other side yeah i think Brené, i heard Brené brown talking about um her relationship with her husband and uh, she's just an, an amazing person for anyone who hasn't looked at her stuff. She's epic. Um, but um, her and her husband have this thing where they, if they're struggling, they'll be like, they'll, they'll always communicate about how they're feeling. And they'll be like, they'll do it in a sort of a mathematical type of way. They'll be like, Brené will be like, I'm, uh, I'm like a 20 today. Like, I need, I need you to cover me. Like, I need, I need some help here. And if the other person's like, oh, I, I'm an 80. Uh, out of 100 then there's like okay i can cover you because I'm, I'm an 80 if you're both 20s or like you're both 10s and, and just completely gone then you're like right we need to like actually take some extreme action here to in the short term to like balance this out so do we need to lean on the grandparents do we need to get a babysitter in 
do we need to cancel a few of our work jobs or like focus more on on us like exactly. I mean, that's a, re- that's a really interesting way to um to frame it and to um be a bit more analytical about it but and listen i know i know you've got to get off so i just uh we probably we probably i've only asked you about three of the questions i had planned um but <laughs> we probably need to do a, a round two at some point but um the way i like to to end every um every episode of this show is just ask you uh, this final question which is uh, what is the one small change that you've made in your life that you wish you made earlier oh it's such a good question i actually had an answer for you in this because i was i was prepping this and i was thinking god that's it is such a good question it sounds really cliched just to be kinder to myself <laughs> it sounds really cliched and and i think i think I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very driven person. Um, I like to achieve, I like working, I like being a mum. Um, but the one small change I've made is to just be kinder to myself and do a few more things just for me, guilt free. So do you know one thing I do? Actually, this is a one small change. I have a massage every week, every week. Brilliant. Now some people, maybe once a fortnight actually, but, um, and I was, it was horrific during lockdown because I couldn't do it. Um, but it's one, but some people go, oh, Ponzi having a massage. And I'm like, do you know what? <laughs> For me, that is my favorite thing in the world. I love spending my money on a massage because it's time for me. It feels good. I do mindfulness while I'm having my massage. And it really, really, it invigorates me. It re-energizes me. It relaxes me. And it gives me some complete switch off. So that is the one small change I've made is to guilt-free invest in a weekly massage and it's bloody brilliant. I love it. I'm, I'm definitely going to implement my own myself. You should. <laughs> Too many people see those things as like a luxury and they are. I'm, mm. not saying, I'm not saying everyone can go out and afford a you know, 50 quid massage every five minutes. I do appreciate that. Yeah. I do appreciate that. But even if you, know, you can have a you know, nice hot bath and get one of the, the, the sort of back rollers or something, it's just that very notion of taking an hour off just for you where everyone else can bugger off and do something that feels nice and for me a massage feels lovely i love it i'm gonna i'm literally gonna go on urban massage now and get that booked in (laughs) and thank you so much for your time i i I absolutely love that chat and um i'll probably be hitting you up for some therapy recommendations after the call but um have a great day and uh, yeah we'll get you on a a round two someday soon 100 percent. thanks simon hi guys simon again here Just one more thing before you guys go. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really hope it gave you an immense amount of value. If I could ask just one thing of you all, please subscribe to the podcast. Please share it. Please write a review if you enjoyed it. Please talk to your friends about it. The bigger the podcast gets, the better the guests I can get on and the more value I can give back to you all. So that's it from me. I'll see you on the next one. And until next time, enjoy the ride.